Mindfulness Mode 306. Slow down and feel it. So that's the most important thing. Slow down and feel it. Welcome. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining today. Always love to hear from you. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I'll read it on the air. I just received feedback from Margaret just a few days ago. She's from Brazil. She said, Hey, Bruce, I found your podcast when I was looking for podcasts that would improve my English speaking skills. I'm Brazilian, and to be very frank with you, I hardly heard about mindfulness. However, your podcast came in the right moment that I needed to increase my self-confidence, find new tools to avoid a burnout, and lessons for overcoming difficulties. You've been my best companion in the hectic traffic in Sao Paulo. Thank you so much for broadening my capacity to learn different skills in your program. I found the program 284 really interesting and it was called Discover the Better Brain Solution with Dr. Stephen Masley. Mindfulnessmode.com slash 284. Margaret, I love that episode too. And his book goes with me almost everywhere. I think it's in the backseat of my car right now. Great book on the better brain solution. Yeah, terrific episode 284. And she says, warm regards. So thanks for sending in that message. Today, Leah Bales. I met Leah in San Diego, and it was such a pleasure. It was when I was speaking there a few months ago. I value her friendship, and you'll see why in a moment. She has insights, stories, and a feeling of peace as you listen to everything she shares. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Leah. Hey, Mindful Tribe. This is going to be a good day because I have Leah Bales with me today, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking with Leah. Hey, Leah, are you hey. in mindfulness mode? I am in mindfulness mode. Yay. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun, Leah. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe, and this is what I've got. Leah Bales is a speaker, a writer, and a leadership coach. She has a master's in psychology, along with extensive experience in dance, theater, and the healing arts. A number of years ago, as she was recovering from an immune system collapse, Leah found herself headed for a career in holistic wellness. This transitioned her to accept such interesting positions as a mind-body therapist, yoga therapy program director, and employee wellness coordinator. Currently, Leah empowers high achievers to become the exceptional leaders they were born to be with less stress and loneliness to more vitality and impact. That's what we want to have, isn't it? Vitality and impact. Yes, indeed. And you help us do it. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Leah? Mindfulness to me is about presence. You know, it's about really being present in our moment with whoever we're with, with the situation, with our bodies. It's that full body presence. And, and I really love to cultivate mindfulness for myself and for people that I work with that has that quality of compassion and kindness. 
when I started meditating, I was a teenager and I was really harsh with myself. You know, I think the meditation gave me a, a chance to notice patterns and what I was doing, but I was doing it with that hard edge of like, oh, there you go again, there you go again, like there, why, why are you still doing that? And so that harshness that, that was there for me and that I, I don't think is helpful. And, and I think it actually helps, makes us shut down and, and rigidify. And so my own journey and the work that I do with other people is really based on how can we notice with that deep kindness? You know, so we've got compassionate curiosity. Right. Hmm, what's going on? How can I be there? Because I think that's the place that helps us transform. I think it is too. So you were being critical. You were being self-critical and judging yourself. Is that how you see it? I was. And I know yeah. you work a lot with bullying. And I was thinking yeah. about that today. And it's like a form of self-bullying. Yes. I did for a long time. And it really, you know, working to shift that's been one of those core changes for me. And we all do it, I think, sometimes. And it's, mm -hmm. life's a learning process. But later you had an immune system collapse. And I wonder, was that related to you being so self-critical? What do you think? I, I think that's very insightful of you. I've never really quite thought of it quite that way, but I was, I really was excited to achieve. And I felt it was kind of like I couldn't do quite enough. I had three little children, three daughters at home, and I was in grad school, and I was volunteering, and I was taking care. I thought I could take care of everybody and do everything. And I think what I, my goals were great, you know, my dreams were great, but I was doing what I thought I had to do to achieve those, which is push. And if I got tired, I kept pushing. And if I, you know, got a little, you know, run down, I just kept pushing. And I pushed and pushed and pushed until I collapsed. Who told and, you that life was supposed to be perfect? Who told you that you were supposed to be perfect? Well, yeah, I think I probably, my wonderful, amazing parents. And, you know, there was a lot of that, you know, being of course. Like, I, I was supposed to be perfect. Or I, I think society tells us that. Yeah, I think so too. And often, I think we get confused like the way we drive to achieve is by not feeling good enough, you know, and, and that there's some deficit that we have that we have to prove or that we have to try to reach and the goal, you know, the finish line we never get to. I think that's not the only way to do it. We can do it from that place of, loving ourselves and trusting ourselves and trusting that there is that natural inclination and impulse to grow that we can follow. So we don't have to do it from a place of not being good enough and having a deficit, but from like, oh yeah, this is great. I love what I've created and there's more to create. There's more to achieve. Yes. Yes. Well, you got over this autoimmune system collapse somehow. How did you do it? Well, it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. Really? Yeah. yeah. And I think people often have that experience, something terrible that happens, and then we realize, wow, it was just what I needed at that point in my life. And for me, that was that sense that, well, I had a lot of medical tests. And, you know, at first the doctors weren't sure I was going to live. And, and when I had tests that ruled out the things that were deadly, I had the real strong inner knowing that my path wasn't going from doctor to doctor to get fixed, but it was an inner journey. It was like learning how to heal myself and change my life from the inside out. 
And so it began this really wonderful journey of uh, studying meditation and yoga and qigong and and learning with shamans and mind-body healers and, and learning to activate that extraordinary power of healing that we all have inside ourselves. I'd like to talk about qigong because I have not talked to many of my guests about this specific practice. Tell us about qigong and how it affected you and what difference it made in your life. Well, I love talking about qigong because I I think it's so powerful. And qigong, and sometimes it's pronounced, the kind of phonetic way is C-H-I-K-U-N-G, which is kind of makes it a little easier for my Western ears to hear it. And so qi is that energy, the life force that animates all beings. It animates us and the rivers and the trees and the, the birds and the clouds. It's this life force that's flowing through us. So that's qi. And kung is skill. So it's skill at working with energy. Okay. So to do it, of course, we need to be mindful. We need to yes. feel it. What's depleting our energy? What's boosting it? And how do we work with it? Whereas when I had my immune system collapse, I was working against my energy. Yeah, rather than being responsive to it, I was trying to push it. I was um, trying to, you know, like force myself rather than you're working with the Qigong, it's much more an inner connection. And one thing I love about Qigong is it connects you with nature. Okay. So that you're using the energy like I usually do Qigong outside and as often as I can do it barefoot, even though I'm in Oregon and it's November right now, it was, um, I went out today and did it for a little while barefoot in the rain. And there's that sense of connecting with the earth and with the sky and with the trees. And it's just, even that, just standing there and breathing it in to me is very healing. And do you ever do it in a group or is it always individual? Mm -hmm. I often used to do it in a group. I studied it in a group. I've taught it in groups. Um, And right now I'm not teaching it, and I usually practice by myself. But in China, you see people doing both Tai Chi and Qigong in the mornings in the park, people of all ages, you know, when they're doing those slow movements, you know, moving like that sort of, you know, those are the Qigong Mm -hmm. movements that they're doing. So it's very much a part of the culture there. So does that draw energy into your body or does mm-hmm. it release or does it do both? does both. Yes, and. <laughs> yeah. right. So you're releasing their parts like the one I often do is the five, um, the soaring crane five routines. And the first root- three routines are cleansing and clearing out what is called the dirty chi. And then the next two are more bringing in the clean chi to have it move through your body. Beautiful. Yeah, and very mindful. I know my teacher from China would say, American students are so wonderful. They're so excited, but they're so fast. (laughs) She would say, slow down and feel it. So that's the most important thing. Slow down and feel it. And that's what I sometimes say to my guests. Okay, slow down. Let's talk about this one thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of interrupt them and stop them because I can't, process things quite that fast, or at least it just doesn't feel natural sometimes. Mm -hmm. I just want to slow down a little bit. And I I notice as I'm talking to you and looking at you here on the screen, you have a very graceful way of just subtly 
moving, you know, you just, you're very mindful the way you are connecting with me here. Well, you've been involved in theater and dance. So tell me about the mindful aspect of that. Did you always connect them when you were even first involved in theater? Connect them with mindfulness? Yes. Hmm, that's a great question. Well, when I was really little, I studied ballet. And I, okay. for me, that wasn't a particularly mindful thing. It was trying to achieve. Sure. You know, and but later, I just started dancing just for the joy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I'll dance with groups in, uh, in nature or in my studio, and it's just for the joy of it. Yes. So that's very, very mindful. I lead something called Rhythmasana and have wonderful live musicians, and it's a blend of yoga and freeform dance and meditation. And, you know, it's really the main rule is just let it feel good, let it be fun, and, you know, it, it, and joyful. So our um, tagline is moving into deep joy. It's just really opening to the joy of who we are by playing in movement. Very, very fun. I love that. Beautiful. It sounds like a lot of fun. And theater is interesting. I feel like with theater, when I'm doing my best work, I'm not thinking about how to do it. It's flowing through me. It's kind of like Qigong. It's flowing through me. And that's very mindful in the fullest sense of body, mind, whole being, full. Tell me what your three children taught you about mindfulness. Wow. Everything. They taught me so much and they still teach me so much. They're now 30 and 34. I have twins who are 30 and a 34-year-old and grandchildren. And it just, the need to be present, the need to listen. And it doesn't need to be even sometimes for long, but just to be there. And now, as, an, as the parent of adult children, that remembering that a lot of things are not my business and that I want to just listen and trust them, mm-hmm. you know, trusting them to find their path and give advice when lightly, when I'm asked. But I think it's just that real trust of who they are and that that emerges and that that was there really early with my kids, you know, the sense that I was certainly there for a reason and discipline was important and structure was important. And my main job is like holding the space for them to become who they were. Holding the space for them to become who they were. Yeah, that's beautiful. So Leah, I know I mentioned that you've been involved in the healing arts. Are you a healer? Well, I believe we're all healers. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I do believe we're all healers. I have studied hands-on healing. I've done that. Um, I've done um, both Reiki and therapeutic touch. And that was part of my healing process when I was in for myself, was learning to receive it and then learning to give it um, and work in groups with it. And for a while, it was something I did. People would come to me for a while and I would do hands-on healing. And what became more gratifying to me was helping people go into themselves and heal than be able to use the energy themselves to heal themselves, not in isolation, but rather than my being the one who is healing them or being the conduit for healing more helping them become the hot conduits for healing themselves. Hmm. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I think we all can heal ourselves if we allow ourselves to mm-hmm. to get well, just to give it up, to let mm-hmm. it go, just like you've been talking about. And you know, you've you've done so much in the work of mindfulness. Have you ever you probably have gone to different kinds of events and different kinds of uh healing weekends or mindfulness events. Can you tell us about something that you went to, attended, that really stood out that was in this theme of mindfulness? Well, I would consider all of the yoga that I did as, you know, an essence of that, the way I trained in it at least was mindfulness. And a story of a man that I so admired, who was the head of Mount Madonna. He was the spiritual teacher, Baba Hari Das. And I was there helping to teach some yoga therapy workshops. Mm-hmm. And Baba Hari Das was one of the most present, mindful people I've ever been around. It was a very small man. He was the like guru of this community, but very humble. Mm-hmm. He lived and worked and ate just like all the people around him. And he one night I was sitting in the dining room at Mount Madonna and I was eating with some of the men who lived there, a couple of young men, and they'd been out all day building a rock wall. And Baba Haridas, who at that point was in his 70s, had been out building the rock wall with them all day. Now he was like maybe five feet tall, you know, maybe a hundred, maybe five, three, a hundred pounds, maybe a really small man. Mm-hmm. But he was out working all day and these young men were telling me about working with him and they said, he is amazing. They said, we're out there all day long and we're sweating and we're pushing and we're using our muscles and we're way bigger than he is. And he's this little man, but he can lift up the biggest rock and set it in place as if it weighs nothing. Hmm. They said, he's working in a whole different way. He's working with energy. Uh. Yeah, and that was so inspiring to me. At that point, I was in my early 30s. He was in his 70s. And he and some of my other teachers, I mean, they seemed old to me, you know, at that age. Mm-hmm. Now they don't. But they, I mean, they were decades older than I was, but they were working with this inner power. And to me, there's a mind that, that to me is like one of the core mm, the qualities of mindfulness is that we're working from this deep inner place. And things can become much less struggle, much less work when we're working from that inner place of our energy, our chi, you know, that full awareness. Leah, do you have pets? I lost my last pet recently. Yeah. My, I, when my kids were little, we had so many pets. We had dogs and cats and ponies and horses and gerbils and hamsters and snakes and chinchillas. We really had lots of sna- animals. And my dog died five years ago and my cat died just a few months ago. Mm. And so this is the first time I'm living really my life without pets. And we haven't, my husband and I haven't quite been ready yet to get another one. Well, I find they bring such an element of mindfulness into our lives. Mm -hmm. Do you think you will get another one then eventually? Do you think this is something that makes your life more complete? Or maybe since you've had such experience with animals, maybe you're okay without them now? 
Well, I love them. And I go and visit my mom's dog. She has a little Jack Russell Terrier. And I go up, she just lives down the road. And almost every day I go up and hang out with him a little bit and take him for a walk. And, you know, that's really fun. I also have a lot of wild animals around here. So I'm living in the forest in Western Oregon. Mm -hmm. And we have a pond today. We thought we saw an otter, a river otter out on the pond. And then just now there were some mergansers. So even though I don't have that intimate connection with them, like with a pet, I do feel informed by them and, you know, watch them a lot and learn from them. But yes, I'll definitely have pets. I really miss them. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we have two cats and a, and a dog and they have a, a great dynamic with each other. You know, they're <laughs> they're funny, they're interesting and more than anything, they're mindful. So it's always mm-hmm. fun to watch and learn from them and experience what they what they bring to our lives. Now, I want to talk with you about bullying because I've been in that field for quite a while. And I, and I wonder if you have a, a, a story that you can share about this topic where, where mindfulness would have made a difference, or maybe it's a story where mindfulness did make a difference, either in childhood or adulthood. I find your connection with mindfulness and bullying really fascinating. Since I've been listening to your podcast and hearing you talk to people about that, it's made me think about bullying a lot more. And, and that's been good. And you know, I, I was thinking in my own life, and as a child, I can't remember ever being bullied. But there are a number of situations as an adult that I would consider bullying to have happened. And right now in the news, there's a lot about abuse of power, which I think is a form of bullying. And one particular situation really stands out for me. There was a a man I was working with who was in in a um, business situation and was in a position of, you know, in the hierarchy above me. And ironically, he had asked me to help him teach a mindfulness class <laughs> and uh, based on John Kabat-Zinn's work. Right. And so we're teaching this, but there were some very uncomfortable encounters with things that felt to me like abuse of power with students and with me. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a conference, a mind-body um, conference for therapists and doctors and educators, and he knew I was going. And I, He didn't say anything about going, but I was there and he showed up oh. and was bizarre to me, like following me and ranting and screaming and, you know, at this professional conference, it was very, very upsetting. I didn't feel scared really, but it was very upsetting. Mm. And that happened one evening. And then the next morning we had workshop. It happened to be Wayne Mueller. Do you know Wayne's work? He does body, mind, spirit work. And I'm not really familiar with him. No. Okay, and so one of his books is called um, Sabbath, um, something like a return to sacred rest. Uh And he was doing a workshop at this conference. And I went into that workshop just feeling like kind of tense in my body and rattled and looking around to see if this other person was going to be there and kind of felt like just going home, but I didn't want to. I wanted to stay at the conference. Mm -hmm. But I was definitely feeling disjointed and rattled. And he gave us the best exercise. He gave us the exercise to go out on a walk. It was at Asilomar, this beautiful place by the ocean in California. To go out for a walk and be led by our senses. And he called this a sensory walk. Mm. And we talked, you know, that feeling of like, just notice what do your eyes, 
love and follow that? Or what fragrance are you interested in? And so it was just very simple. We each were out doing it for a while and came back. And just that following, I remember there was one particularly beautiful fragrant bush that I just felt really drawn to and just was present with, just noticing. Mm-hmm. And the feeling I had was having come back to my senses. You know, I was like restored to myself. So, you know, it was definitely a mindfulness exercise. It was like, what's here? And how does it inform us? And what does it call us to? And it totally brought me back to myself. And I I really felt healed from that. I really like that story, Leah. Beautiful Mm -hmm. story. Thanks for sharing it. You know, and I guess there's another way, too, that I think mindfulness could have helped me if I'd looked back sooner. Uh If I myself had been more aware of some of the early warning signals and had, you know, after that situation, I let our supervisor know I would not work again with this person. Uh But before that, there were weird things happening. And I think if I had been more trusting of myself and what I was really noticing, I probably could have done something to stop it before it got to that point. So I think that mindfulness of noticing early warning signals is something that would have been helpful for me. Mm. And listening to our intuition, when we notice that something just isn't right, sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to tell, is that my intuition or is that something else? Maybe it's not hard for you, I'm not sure. Oh, it is. And I think it gets muddied in this case, as it does often in that if someone has some power over us right. or, you know, or we have a professional connection and that for whatever reason we want to keep that, then, you know, that certainly makes it harder to listen to that place and, and be true to it. Yes, mm-hmm. certainly. Leah, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the All first right. one is this. So if you're able to answer these in 30 seconds, that's awesome. The first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Mm, well, Joan Borisinko. Joan Borisinko wrote some of the early books on mindfulness and one, uh, yeah, so she was, I, I took a couple of workshops from her many, many years ago and loved her focus. Mm. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Leah? Oh, I think it makes it much easier to have emotions and not get um, sidetracked by them or hijacked by them. You know, it's like, oh yeah, they're emotions and they come and they go and I don't need to be a victim of my emotions, not pushing them down, but not needing to be a victim of them. Especially I think that self-criticalness was a part at one point that I would sometimes become a victim of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing may be the number one part of my mindfulness because it's so great because it's always with us mm-hmm. and just one breath or even one part of a breath or noticing a breath can bring us right back to it. So it's something I, my intention is to start noticing it when I first wake up and to be aware of it all through the day. Um, and I love the, the practice of noticing and feeling the breath rather than trying to impose a perfect breath. Mm, yes. Well, if you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? I think it would be anything by Thich Nhat Hanh. 
uh, being peace. Um, uh, he's written so many on mindfulness. And yeah. to me, any of them, I open any of them to any page and I just feel happy and more grounded and centered. Have you ever met him? I haven't. Have you, Bruce? No, I haven't either. <laughs> but I would like to someday. Hey, so can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Yes, and I haven't personally used apps, but my kids have. My mm -hmm. oldest daughter who has sons uses Calm. Yes. She uses it with herself and her two little boys. And my younger daughters um, use Headspace. Right. Uh, and I think there's also a Headspace for kids. Ah, I didn't know there was a Headspace for kids. That's cool. I think that's right. I may yeah. be mistaken, but... Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I'd like to just ask what your meditation looks like at this point in your life when you meditate. And this isn't part of the 30-second answers. I just, I just thought, you know, we didn't really talk specifically about this. So what's it like for you when you meditate now? Well, my meditation, I, I consider what we're doing right now meditation. Mm. <laughs> my Qigong teacher said, all day, all night, you know, that's all an opportunity for meditating. So it certainly varies sometimes. In the, the, I usually like to take the first time in the morning, the first hour is my holy hour. Mm -hmm. And so I'm first of all writing. And usually that's just connecting with what came up in my dream time, you know, like getting close to that space. And then I usually do some yoga. Although in the summer, when it's bright outside, I go for a walk. Um, in the early morning and consider that meditation. It's just breathing and feeling and being. And then I often do a, a, a seated meditation, <laughs> can't say it, sitting meditation where I, I do some breathing practice and, and just notice and be and sometimes do some humming and sounding. And then usually during the day I do my Qigong and usually after lunch, I tend to wake up super early. And so after lunch, I'm usually ready for a rest. And I do yoga nidra, which is a guided um, meditation that just, and it's, of course, it's mindfulness too, just goes through the body feeling and goes through different levels of consciousness and awareness. Leah, you're a beautiful woman and beautiful in how much you want to share and how much you how much you feel other people and feel the universe and you know i can tell that as soon as i meet you you know it, it was wonderful meeting you in san diego and uh yeah so how can mindful tribe reach out to you and learn more about what you do well, I have a page of gifts. I have several options. So go to www.leahbales.com forward slash gifts, G-I-F-T-S. There are a number of things there. So um, get one, get several, and um, that'll help us be in touch. Also, if there are people that were just had comments or questions about what we talked about, certainly Go to Bruce's site. I think there are places for comments there. Yes. Yeah. Or um, email me, Leah at LeahBales.com. Yeah, for sure. And Leah, it's L-E-A, and Bales is B-A-Y-L-E-S. So go to LeahBales.com and take a free gift and take your time and be mindful <laughs> and just enjoy that space there because Leah has created a beautiful space. And thank you for the 
the time and the gifts you've given us here today on this this interview. It's been wonderful being with you, Leah. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Bruce. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.